0: Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Last Line Soccer Podcast presented to you by Prime Focus Goalkeeping and the Beautiful Game Network. We want to take some time real quick to thank our sponsors for everything they do for us. Prime Focus Goalkeeping is a brand dedicated to bringing goalkeepers of all ages, top quality gloves and apparel, as well as educational goalkeeping content via our social media pages at Prime Focus GK and YouTube channel, the Prime Focus Goalkeeping channel, as well as plenty of interviews on our blog, which you can check out on our website at www.primefocusgoalkeeping.com. We also need to thank the Beautiful Game Network for giving us a platform to reach more soccer fans and talk with more great soccer minds. Check out the website www.bgn.fm for more great podcasts and written content. So without further ado, let's get this episode going. Welcome back, guys, to the latest episode of The Last Line Soccer Podcast, presented to you by Prime Focus Goalkeeping and the Beautiful Game Network. We also want to give a shout-out to two of our huge sponsors, Roughneck Scars and Icarus SFC. Thank you, guys, for all you do for the podcast, Beautiful Game Network, and all the fans out there. So without further ado, I want to get started on this podcast, really excited to talk to two great goalkeeping minds in the soccer world in America. Um, Let me introduce you guys to Jason Grubb, the Director of Goalkeeping for the Academy in Houston Dynamo, and first team Dynamo goalkeeping coach, uh, Paul Rogers, thank you guys for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having us, Brandon. Brilliant, Brilliant to be here. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to you guys. I mean, after we met in 2017, after meeting you guys and working with you guys, realizing the level that you guys bring to goalkeeping down there, I really wanted to pick your brains about a, a lot of what's going on in the goalkeeping world right now. So uh, before we get into too many details about what you guys have going on down there and all the goalkeeping knowledge that you guys have, I want I want the listeners to get to know you guys. So uh, Jason, if you want to go first, I, I know you guys... Um, aren't originally from America, so I kind of want to get an idea of how you guys made it to America, how you uh, forged your path in, in goalkeeping, coaching-wise, playing-wise, whatever that be. So uh, give us a little bit about yourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was lucky enough to come to the country in 2004. I got here really by a conventional method of the camp organization. So I worked for a company called UK League Soccer. Uh, they basically kick-started my coaching career uh, really – working at the recreation level, travel level, uh, and then that sort of entry to the career level, if you you like. Uh, And I was working with a range of, whether it be goalkeepers or whether it be uh, different teams from around the sort of New Jersey, New York uh, region. Uh, From there, I was lucky enough to then move further north to Connecticut to work for Tony Di Chico at Soccer Blast, and that's personally where then I started to learn more and more about Uh, Paul Rogers and sort of how his career sort of unfolded from coming through the Soccer Plus Goalkeeper School. Um, While up in Connecticut, I had the opportunity to work at a smaller division One program called Kuntiak University, where I spent five years. That was the first real opportunity I had uh, to work with a group of goalkeepers on a a day-in, day-out basis um, and and start to learn really the the development of goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaching from, from that side of things. Um, from there, I moved down to IMG, where I spent one year working with Kevin Hartman, uh, in the goalkeeping department down at IMG, uh, before then moving across to the Houston Dynamo with with Paul Rogers, and that was about three and a half years ago now.
0: Okay, nice. Nice. So, Paul, can we get a little little background on yourself?
2: Yeah, um, I came to the U.S. Uh, probably around uh, probably the late 90s, uh, came on a scholarship like a lot of people coming over from England at the time before uh, the rules really came in with the Clearinghouse. Um, spent a, a semester at a Division Two school to obviously get through the Clearinghouse and then trapped up down to South Florida. Uh, at USF um, was there for a semester and then um, a couple of the authorities caught up with me for obviously having associations with pro clubs and signing pro deals. Uh, and that was the end of my NCAA career after uh, two seasons. So after that, I actually went home. Um, no visa. So I went back to England and um, was you know, doing almost the circuit, was at Brighton of Albion for a while, then on loan at Hastings, uh, St Leonard's, Bognor, Fisher Athletic. I mean, you name it. Probably played for about 15 clubs in one season. Um, eventually, you know, Settled down a little bit at Brighton, um, and then yeah, basically injuries got to a point where it was getting getting pretty bad to, to hold down contracts, etc. And then came back to the US, um, signed in the A League or, or the the A League before it became the USL Championship um, for India. Was there for two seasons, three seasons. Um, and at, the, at the same time, ended up playing for. Great Britain in the World Games in Daegu career. and Basically, at the end of that, I thought, you know, this is enough of playing. Injuries are too much. Um, money's not enough because I'm, I'm sure a lot of goalkeepers out there feel. I uh, went into in the coaching side, um, which I'd actually started at a younger age when I was uh, an apprentice back in England. I basically did my day release was one of the first times they let, look into doing coaching uh, with our kind of, you know, A level, O level, whatever you want to call it, and met the guys at the FA and basically stayed in touch with them. And over the next sort of from when I was 16 till about 22, 23, did most of my, well, I did all the FA licensing and then the UEFA license came in. And I did the majority of that uh, up until the B level, both goalkeeper and outfield. Um, and then when I got into coaching over here, which would have been sort of mid-2000s, I went back and completed what I hadn't done in the UEFA stuff um, and then finished the USSF stuff over here as well with the licensing. Um, From there, just like most, got into small goalkeeper coaching, um, started coaching the soccer plus, like Jay said, um, which I kind of started when I first came over to go to school and worked with Chico in the summers for about 10 years. um, And then... Got into the college game, and from there the international game, and from there the pro game, and kind of jump between the men's to the women's, and then the women's to the men's game, and here I am today at Houston Dynamo.
0: Okay, so let's let's fast forward a little bit. So, how did you two link up down in Houston?
2: I'll, I'll tell the story because I tell quite a few people because it makes me laugh. Um, back when I worked at Soccer Plus, I would say it was in the days when the company, as a, as a goalkeeping training platform was, was booming um, obviously and uh, Tony DiCicco was the gaffer for the national team uh, Nike was the major backing at the camps and um, I don't think there was a goalkeeper at the time in the US that had been come through the program um, of which some of those went on to be obviously you know good professional and international goalkeepers uh, as, as time went on I left the you know I left doing the camps I, I didn't thought they were going in the right direction Um Etc. And you know that was probably when Jason came on board. That's just probably why they went in a bad direction. Um, Jay came on board, and you know he started working with people. Obviously, I'd been there with. Over time, uh, there's a, a lad called Ben Pinkleton uh, who's no longer with us. But Ben, I was obviously close with, and was then overseeing soccer bus and kept saying to me, you know, when you're doing your performance goalkeeping stuff, when you're doing your training sessions you need to get this Jason lad involved. Um, and I was flat out like, Ben, look, I'm not having him. He's English. Um, I'm probably the most anti-English person there is when it comes to coaches in America, um, just because so many came over thinking they can coach just because they're English um, with no background in the game. So I kind of fought off the idea for about two or three years and then met Jason at a, at a camp that I was going in to talk for Ben, uh, talk with Ben, sorry. And from there, just got in touch with him. He did a few things with me up in New Jersey and in the Connecticut area. Um, Then when he went off to IMG, stayed in touch. And, you know, from there, we kind of realized that we did the same, uh, coach very similarly, although we're we're totally different people. And I just thought, you know, there's a a big, big area in the game for, for Jay to go to. And I still believe it. I still think he'll be probably one of the best coaches in the U.S. as long as he stays there. Um, so brought him into Houston, which which took a while, if I'm honest, with, again, visas and stuff like that, but eventually got him in. And since then, I've been fighting off every other club in the MLS that are trying to get him.
0: So, Jason, what is what was your goal when you moved to Houston? Uh, obviously, you're coming in to work with the academy goalkeepers, but also have some type of role with the first team and and the whole organization as a whole. But what was what was the move? What was the next step for you in your mind?
1: Yeah, the um, for, for me this was the is the first professional football club that I've been a part of, um, certainly working at. Um, so it was it was important to me to try and make the jump uh, and really Houston. Kicked a number of boxes for me personally. Obviously, I wanted to have the opportunity to work day in day out, working underneath uh, Paul Rogers and, and the guidance there. That was going to be really important, and it's going to be important for a number of reasons. Um, the most important reason is that Paul's always going to be extremely honest with me, uh, and that was something that I've, I've probably missed all the way along. Um, I and mean, he's extremely honest on, on a day in day out basis. So when things are when things are good, you know, we're sold. Um, however, when things aren't maybe quite right, and we're we're asked to to rethink some of our our thoughts and maybe the direction we're taking. So the honesty on a day-to-day basis was something that really um, was going to be important, certainly to my development. Then from there, also getting the opportunity to work with a range of different ages, um, top-level young goalkeepers, uh, a range of different ages, um, on a day-in-day out basis was going to be extremely important to, to my development, but also grow sort of the grassroots, um, Element of of what we're doing here in Houston as well it was going to be another factor for me to to really get my teeth uh, you know stuck into, and on top of that, then having the experience to go in and, and uh, view things at the first team level, and also step in and, and take some of the sessions at the first team level has been really invaluable. And you know, there's there's always days where you're gonna you're gonna make small mistakes, but you've got to be able to learn quickly from your mistakes and um, and, and obviously and move on. So. Overall, it was for me it was a no brainer, um, and it's been it's been a really steep uh, and very good learning curve ever since ever since uh, touching down here in Houston.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about that structure that you guys have down in Houston because I think it's it's one of the ones that you look if you look at throughout the MLS academies, throughout the MLS teams, throughout the league, it's it's one of the better ones in the league in terms of producing players from the academy to push on to RGV to to Houston Dynamo. So what exactly have you guys done in terms of your relationship and your, your impact on the goalkeepers from the beginning ages all the way up to the first team? How has your relationship there developed that pathway for the players to, to reach higher levels? Um,
2: from my standpoint, I would say when I first got to the club in 2015, um, I was expecting more. Of, I was expecting more structure. I was expecting the MLS to be further along. When it came to, you know, the development of players from a young age all the way through to the first team, um, I probably came at a time when the league was changing with, uh, you know, all the goals at the homegrowns and, you know, benefit to having them. Um, but when I got there, I was surprised For me it was a youth club and a pro club, um, and I would use both terms lightly because they they weren't at the level I was expecting. Now maybe I I thought it would, you know, my expectation was too high etc etc so when I got there we had a lad in the academy good goalkeeping coach down in North Carolina uh, Nathan's back factory. I thought he was doing a good job he was doing stuff away from the from the club to try and benefit the club he loved his goalkeeping etc um, and obviously he's proven what he's gone on to that he's a fantastic coach for whatever reason the club moved on from him um, which was actually against my advice but they, they moved on from him, and then I was left with bringing somebody in. Um, obviously, I knew the one person I wanted, as we've already talked about, and I went about Jason. It was then, really, I was allowed to make uh, decisions based off of the, both the academy, the first team. RGV had now started, um, and I was allowed to put in place what I thought would work. Um, in some ways, we are very lucky that RGV was the goalkeeper in the league, so we probably get more support than a lot of goalkeeping departments. Um, but we're also in a situation where we have a very low budget. So it was down to people power. Um, and obviously having Jason was the first step. Um, there was then additional steps on top of that. We had obviously training programs that feed the academy. Getting the academy kids eight, yeah, into first team training um, has been a process that's taken five and a half years, if the last of you. Um, and, and that's kind of how it started. And then from there, my view on it is, it's about people. You know, we can talk about how qualified we are, or how qualified the next person is, but you've got to care about the players, um, both getting them into the club, and then, we're in, then when they're in the club, you know, caring for their development, whether they're going to be a college keeper, pro keeper, you know, what level of pro, or you know, that's that's their time. And that was the first step. And then it was a case of just plugging along, of which since then we've, we've probably put together a good system.
0: So how do you guys determine when an academy goalkeeper is ready to kind of transition into the first team? Maybe not so much sign a contract, but start training with the first team and getting that experience. Because I know in in the experiences that I've had in my career, it can be a lot of either sink or swim in terms of they'll bring it in, especially for goalkeepers, an academy kid who may be young um, and – it's either they come into a training session and they perform well, or they don't. If they perform well, then they continue training. If they don't, then you're probably never going to see them again. So, how do you integrate your goalkeepers in so it's not so much that sink or swim, and you gradually, you know, can get them used to the level.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll answer that again, I and mean, then Jay can jump in on top. The, the what people have got to understand is it's not a simple answer of okay, this keeper's decent, let's bring him in. There's a lot of a lot of bridges you've got to get across. First of all, who are you working for? Who's your head coach? Do they want that? Um, you know, there has been times throughout my career going all the way back to England and I was an academy keeper where you're welcomed in because you're a goalkeeper, you're an extra set of hands, so more can be done. Um, that's a great way to get in, but I still personally don't think that's the best process. For me, if I have a choice, you bring the goalkeeper in with the, with the first team goalkeepers, you train in the goalkeeping environment you keep that keeper there as you get over into the team and the team environment, and let them see first hand before they're thrown into it. And then slowly over time, you drip them into the small sided, you drip them into the phases of play, you drip them into the 11 v 11s. Rather than come over one day, do the goalkeeping session straight in with the team, and you know, because at the end of it, once you're in on the first team, you're all viewed the same. You know, we can say, oh, we, you know, we don't hold a 16 year old to the same level. But once you're playing and there's competition and teams wanna win, whether it be, you know, one V ones, three V threes, five V fives, eleven or phases, these players wanna win. So you don't wanna put for me you don't want to put too much pressure on those young keepers too early, yet at the same time you have put to rip them into the environment because how else do you learn? We can sit and say the game's quicker, you know, the ball's moving at a better pace, you know, the players, you know, soccer IQ is better, but you're not gonna really pick up on that until you're in the environment so for me the ideal would be you start bringing them in when they're physically able to do the goalkeeping and obviously got the talent and then if they physically can handle it and mentally they seem like you know you've done enough work with them over time to know what they can handle then you start putting them in with obviously the first team and the full sessions but again you're you're going to be limited off of the head coach you work for allowing that to happen
0: yeah i think a lot like like you said Coming from my perspective, still being a player and being in training, the big thing for me is everybody wants to win in training. And so when we go into those small sided games and you see the level drop off from, you know, your number one goalkeeper to the academy goalkeeper, then guys start getting frustrated and it, it turns into a, an environment that's not as uh, beneficial for that academy goalkeeper because then it's more of a mental struggle than, than for anything. So Jason, how do you identify the academy goalkeepers that you're working with that, you know, you may want to bring to Paul and say, hey, the, this guy may be ready to take a step up in, in the level of training.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good question, Brandon. I think what we've been able to do is put together uh, basically a simple process to really identify if, if goalkeepers are ready to make that first initial jump into Paul's environments. So to give you an example, uh, around 18 months to two years ago, we created a program in the academy uh, environment called the Hypersensual uh, Program. Basically, it would take three or four goalkeepers that we felt had potential at all ages, uh, and we then had, or we then gave uh, Paul Rodgers the opportunity to come in and work with those, maybe three, four goalkeepers, on a on a weekly basis. So that was their first exposure, really, to Paul, and Paul's first exposure to to those three, four goalkeepers on, on a weekly basis. That way, that you can start, to, uh, or Paul can start to then see, okay, what's the their personality like when it starts to get difficult, um, and how are they reacting back, etc. From there, the next step that we, we put in place, and, and you've been through this process, Brandon, is then inviting our goalkeepers into the our program that we run in every December. But then putting them into the environment where they're around either one, young professionals, or senior players that are coming out of college. You start to put them into a, uh, a different environment to see how they respond. I know when you were in Brandon, we had Osmar. Travers was in, and then he progressed into them being able to train into the first team. Most recently, we put Logan into that situation. He was successful uh, coming through that sort of pro camp, and then he obviously went into the season. He, he's done extremely well. So I, I would say that we put we put different uh, processes in place to ensure there's been steady progression before they even step foot onto the first team training pitch.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the the pro camp. That's actually where all three of us met. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit Um, let's talk about why you guys started that and how that's benefited you guys at the academy level, RGV level and the MLS level
2: Uh, I think that the reason it came about there's a lot of conversations Brandon that go on at our place between me and Jay and probably 2% actually end up happening and that was one of them Um, we have all these great ideas about we want to do this, we want to do that we want to do another thing in goalkeeping but like I said there at the beginning the, the finances aren't there so everything we do has got to be based off of people power. Um, and this was an area where we actually thought it would save us finances, was instead of going out and trying to scout every, you know, every decent high-level college kid, um, it was better to bring them to us. Um, obviously, to, to, we did it, you know, cost-free. They didn't have to pay anything to come in, but they had to get themselves there. As you know, we set the hotel deal up uh, for it to be cheap for the hotels. and. Basically, once we knew we had a structure, it probably was about six months out from the first one. You know, we started watching the keepers, and then you know, bringing them in, inviting them in, and that first year was was very successful, um, extremely successful. I mean, we signed two keepers to RGV, and one to the first team, of which you know Michael Nelson is still with us. Um, and that you know, from there, it's just built. We basically now choose each year what age group do we want to look at? Do we want to look at seniors? Do we want to look at juniors? Do we want to look at sophomore and juniors? So the first year was predominantly seniors. Um, the second year was predominantly sophomore. But uh, first year was seniors. The second year was predominantly sophomore and juniors because we knew we were okay for goalkeepers that year. So we were looking for the future. Um, and, and that came about. There's a lot of things we would like to do similar to it. But that one, we could go to the club and say, we need X amount of finances. And it will save us X amount of finances to see the most players we can. And the area we've, you know, everyone's talking about it in football, in the game is we've got to meet the players as people and got to see how they were on the training field, how they were with us, what their mentality was, what their level of maturity was. You can learn a lot more than just kind of watch them for one game, you know, playing for their college, couple of games playing for their college, and one game at the combine or whatever. You can. we just felt you could learn a lot more. Um, and we've thought, like, so far, we've we've been correct with pretty ev- you know, pretty much everything we've done within the pro camp, even when we've maybe liked a keeper that we didn't think mentally could do it or the keeper wasn't as technically, tactically good but had the right mentality. We've got to see all those things and, and make decisions based off of it. And that's how it came about.
0: Right. I, lo- I loved my experience down there. I thought it was a great... Um a great concept and a great thing that you guys did bringing in the players um, and having the opportunity for them to see an environment and them to see the level that they're, you know, preparing to train at. Um, and so my question now is, do you think that with the way that the league is trending, the way that the Academy is developing, do you still see a need for that junior sophomore goalkeeper in the MLS when you have guys like, David Ochoa, Abraham Rodriguez, you got Pulse Camp in Kansas City. guys, Younger guys who are getting opportunities at the USL level, still training at the MLS level and hopefully pushing through to that MLS first team, second or third position. Uh, do you still see a need for, like, for a college goalkeeper um, or even having a college goalkeeper camp if you can develop earlier in the academy system? Um,
2: yeah, there's two answers to that as well. I think... It's obviously for us. Yeah, it's an opportunity to meet these goalkeepers, see these goalkeepers, but the truth is how much do you think it's going to be, I found the one I'm going to sign them to an MLS bill or draft them, you know, uh, to an MLS bill. I think it's more a case of you're looking at them for your USL team. Now, with the current climate and USL one coming about and a lot of MLS teams having a USL one and playing their 1917s in that, for me, is a much better way to develop a player. That's, that's a better system than waiting until they're 24 and then putting them into pro games. Um, so there's going to be a transition period, I think, over the next couple of years, I and mean, we'll hear in the rumours about MLS teams all have to have a USL1 team. Um, you know, There's going to be no U19s in the academy level. We'll hear it, all these different things, and I think eventually it will probably find itself where it needs to be. And then when that happens, we then have to evaluate what we're doing and do we do a you know, a college combine or do we put more of that time into scalping in the academy, which we've actually, that's been our, our latest kind of shift, which people don't see as much is, is the scalping in the academy, um, which I'll let Jay go into. But it's proved to work because in the last month or two months now, because we've been in this quarantine here for a week or so. Um, Jay's had two goalkeepers called up by the National Team, by the US. So that doesn't happen overnight. No difference in Chelsea and everyone saying, oh, Frank Lampard's got all these players. Yeah, he's been brave enough to play them, but they were recruited by Chelsea when they were 8 to 10 years old. So about 8 to 10 years ago. Now the players that Jay's brought in, they're the ones getting called up the ones that he you know did the scouting for and put the time and investment in the people power as we as we say now he's seeing the reward from that and you know that might be where the shift goes from the pro camp more into even deeper scouting for the academy
0: so you brought up two points there that i want to uh go deeper into so let's start out with the scouting with the academy i i kind of want to Figure out how you guys identify goalkeepers, both in the local Houston area and, I guess, around the globe, with the way um, academy structure is now. Um, to bring into your academy a structure uh, to start developing them, obviously for the first team. Yeah, I think um, I think it's
1: probably a number of different directions you can, but we can go with this one, Brandon. I think first and foremost, what we you know, three and a half years ago when I come into the club, what Paul what and I sat down and, and looked at is how can we, how can we impact uh, more goalkeepers from outside of the club to give us really long-term stability uh, with younger keeps coming through and essentially becoming homegrown for, for us at Houston Dynamo. So one of the things that we've, we've put a lot of time and effort into is, if you like, our grassroots program, which is more camps and clinic based. Uh, which takes place pretty much every Friday, and then we have a number of different camps throughout the course of the year. Uh, these are these are additional opportunities for goalkeepers within within the city of Houston to come in and, and train with us on on a pretty consistent basis. On top of that, we do a ton of every three camps clinics around the around the city area as well throughout the course of the year, where we're literally seeing anywhere from 100 to 140 goalkeepers a, a night of all ages, all abilities. Um, so that, that's sort of an area that we've really tried to target young goalkeepers, uh, and that's also an avenue where players can come into the academy from there. The other area we've put a lot of time and, and resource into is developing the coaches and the scouting network within the city of Houston. Um, we've been doing a lot more with our, with our partner clubs around the city to provide goalkeeping education Whether it be the goalkeeper in a small group training environment or the goalkeeper's integration into the team environment, so we've been able to affect more coaching in the in the city of Houston and basically look at the city of Houston as as a country itself. I mean, the greater area of Houston at the moment is 6.2 million, so you're talking you're talking mass numbers. Um, So by putting these in place early early on, in certainly on my arrival here. Um, we've been able to then slowly see the rewards of young players coming into the academy at a younger age group, whether it be under 12, under 13, and then progress up the pathway that we've put in place. Um, and as Paul touched upon, we're now starting to see some of the, some of the rewards, uh, with some of our younger goalkeepers, whether they're getting pulled into youth international camps or, uh, our young 16 year old being, being a regular teacher in first team training. Um, so it's really taken, it's really taken some time to get to this point. Um, and obviously a, a lot, of, a lot of man hours on on the field. but we've sort of got to a stage now where we we're, we're starting to be a little bit more comfortable with with, with the, the line of products coming through. That's for sure.
0: So you brought up another great point that I wanted to touch on. The coaching education, especially for goalkeepers, goalkeeper coaches in the United States, what are your thoughts on that? I know both of you do some work uh, nationally with, with coaching education and trying to help goalkeeper coaches improve sessions and their knowledge of the game and whatnot, but what are your thoughts on the, the actual the licenses, the coaching education that's available in the U.S. for goalkeeping right now? Um, I, it's
2: an interesting one, Brandon, because... I mean, Jay right now is on one of his UEFA licenses, uh, one of his UEFA goalkeeping licenses in England. Um, I mean, he's not currently there, but obviously. He's on the phone, but he uh, he's on that, and he's trying to set up a stage one um, NSCAA for United Soccer Coaches uh, license here in town, um, coming up here soon. But the the level for me, the level of attention given to goalkeeping coaching the amount of goalkeeping coaches that are in the country is I don't even want to say minimal it's below that Um, I was part of the the trial group that did the, the pilot license for US soccer last year with the goalkeeping course and you know it was great to be around the other MLS coaches and share ideas but you know the course for me was a long way off what it should have been and there's been no follow up on it since so, you know, we can all complain about, well, you know, this goalkeeping coach is going off here to get a license or going off there to get a license. But if you don't offer them anything in the country, then it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a moot point. And obviously, United Soccer Coaches offer licenses. But with all due respect, you know, I've taken some and I've got staff currently that have taken all the way up to the highest one. And they say the same thing. The content isn't good enough. The instruction isn't good enough. Um, the planning for the course isn't good enough. There's just not enough factual background on, you know, the current the current game and where goalkeepers stand in it, um, whether it be from the technical work to the tactical work to, you know, the periodization to the fitness. You know, if you're doing an elite license, it should cover all those things. Um, and right now, for me, there just isn't anything in the U.S., and it's a problem.
0: So, Jason, how do we fix that? How do we improve... The goalkeeping education that's available, so that we can increase the level of coaching, and and you know, as a result, increase the level of goalkeeping at the even very beginning stages of youth soccer.
1: Yeah, to, to give you a bit of an idea of where the sort of the MLS have come right now. So last year we started basically a 12-month course with the BFB, so the German Football Federation. So it was mandated by uh, Major League Soccer that all of the academy goalkeeper coaches, traveled to, to Germany for 10 days to study basically the ins and outs of, of how the German Federation are developing all of their youth international goalkeepers. So we basically went through a, a pretty intense 10 days. And, and on top of that, we had the chance to bring one, of our, one to two of our current 5% academy players with us. Um, so it also give them an opportunity to gain some cultural experiences in football away from the country, except. So, that had a lot of positive knock-on effect. Um, that being said, on the return back to, obviously, the United States, there hasn't been a ton of follow-up at this point. Um, and there's there's a big void in, as, as Paul alluded to, the big void right now in almost grassroots, grassroots uh, goalkeeping development all the way up. And that's why we've really... That's what one of the reasons why we wanted to put in place this course um, that we're going to be running here in Houston to so basically basically kickstart the goalkeeping education and the licences here in Houston and try and grow it from the ground up. Um, and again, the first licence is really geared towards um, entry-level goalkeeper coaches, uh, head coaches of, uh, for, for teams, and also parents. So it's there to try and gain some more technical knowledge uh, about the position. And the idea is that if, if this can be successful, we quickly want to be able to offer the level two and then grow and grow obviously the education from the from the ground up from there but yeah currently right now there is across the country, there's a, there's a major void in in certainly goalkeeping education i think there's a there's a number of number of really good options out there um the international goalkeeping conference is a, is a fantastic op- option that runs once a year uh from still wedding uh often and down in florida um and that's a that's a fantastic option but, uh, but apart from that at the grassroots level it, it there's
0: a, there's a major void right now. So to talk a little bit about the options that, you, that you're speaking of, I know both of you are pretty active on social media. Um, so how do you use your social media to kind of educate and impact the the coaches as well as the youth players, because I know a lot of a lot of the young goalkeepers I work with, obviously, are all over social media and they'll see all types of goalkeeping content that's posted, um, whether it's by goalkeepers, like the actual players or whether it's by coaches. So how do you kind of use that medium, which obviously social media is king at the moment? How do you use that medium to try and educate um, on a on a regular basis because you you see a lot of content that's put out. I've seen a lot and, you know, sometimes I see good content and sometimes I see content that I want to question. But what is your kind of like strategy in terms of using social media to educate all of your followers?
2: It's funny you ask that. Well, I was, I was actually on the phone for a wedding last night having this exact conversation and been talking to Jay about it for the last couple of days because we're about to do a webinar with – uh, GK Nexus next week, and I have very like uh, personal views on it that maybe don't align with everyone else. But for me, it's content, and that the word you're using there is is a dangerous word because you can see a session or a glimpse of a session. So you're looking at whatever four, five seconds, eight seconds of a session, but you actually don't know what they're working on. Um, on most of them, there's no coaching point. So what it becomes for me is more of a platform just to post your drills. And as you know, Brandon, the same as anyone else, if you've been in goalkeeping since since you was a kid, you can sit there and write down, you know, hundreds of different drills they are just drills. There's no coaching point. There's no how does it translate to the game. And for me, social media is actually a dangerous platform for people to try and use that as their learning place. Because what you're getting... You know, let's say, for instance, a pro coach that's working with a high elite group of goalkeepers is doing an exercise. You don't know why they're doing it. It might be, okay, oh, they look like they're doing handling, they look like they're doing shot-stopping, at an angle, 1v1s, crosses, whatever it may be, but you don't actually know what they're working on. And sometimes you then get this whole questioning of the exercise when it might be for one specific thing. So to say, what are we doing from... You know what we post online, and most of the stuff I put online is about trying to get people into what we do, whether it be the free sessions, the Friday night sessions. And I've been amazed every time we set up a coaching clinic, because people want to do it. The turn up is it's very poor. You know, like Jay says, we get everything from you know 20 to 100 and probably 180 goalkeepers come through the different sections. Uh, in the last year, we had over 500 come through the, through the stuff that we run here in Houston, yet coaching-wise we, we can't get people out for free. And what that shows me is a lot of people say they want to be coaches, but they don't want to do the work. And, you know, you can take a lot of criticism, I can take a lot of criticism for saying this, but it's the same as, well, the is too expensive. Well, yeah, it might be for a grassroots coach. Totally understand. But if you're trying to do a job at uh, you know uh, a youth club that pays pays for the position of a goalkeeping coach, a college goalkeeping coach, a USL, an MLS. You have to invest in your profession. If you're a you know if you're a realtor, you've got to get a realtor's license. If you're a plumber, you've got to get certified in being a plumber. Um, if you want to be a goalkeeping coach, you can't just play in goal and say I'm a goalkeeping coach. If you want to progress up through the ranks, of course, if you're doing you know, the, the young, young kids and you're just doing it to facilitate them and help them. It's a totally different story. And there is categories within coaching, but it's it's a very fine line, the whole social media coaching all the way through to, you know, going to watch professional teams train, watch college teams train um, and expose yourself to, to goalkeeping education. Like Jason says, the conference that, that Phil runs, it, it's a good example of going to be able to go and see four or five different coaches and work that gets put in. And a lot of questions that I personally get is, how did I get what I got? And it wasn't from just copying down sessions and rerunning them. You know, you do everything from the sports science to how you structure your sessions, how you plan a sessions, how you communicate with your players, how psychologically you deal with your players, um, the stresses of, of what a player goes through. And that, that doesn't mean a pro. Chances are what young kids go through as well, whether they're 12, whether they're 14. Um, these are all areas where you've got to become trained in and take the time to do it. So many coaches now come to you and say, Well, I want to go and do this job and I should be earning this amount of money. I think I took my first full time coaching job in America to a university for $22,000. I mean, $22,000 at the time for me was, I thought I'd won the lottery. Um, and now when you look at the money that's being thrown around at youth clubs and, um, you know, USL, MLS, uh, NWSL, I mean, everyone wants to moan about the money, but you're making a full-time live. Okay, you're not earning 500 grand at some of these places, obviously, but, you know, a lot of people are earning a lot of money and actually not having, in my opinion, the qualifications to be to be doing what they're doing.
0: So, yeah, you made a lot of good points there in terms of the, the social media aspect. I mean, that's the, the the big thing I want people to understand and why I really wanted to ask you guys about it um, is because I don't feel like players really understand what they're seeing they're just seeing something exciting and then they want to translate it over into their own training and i find that personally with a lot of the young goalkeepers i work with i see they'll they'll come in and say oh, i want to fly all, all over the place and do all the other of these other things but it's a lot of the focus on the basics that they really skip over because you don't see a lot of that in a lot of the content that's put out. So uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on that and see you know, what your thoughts were uh, being coaches at a higher level. But there's one more, one more uh, topic I wanted to cover with you guys, and that was your international experience. I know both of you worked either with youth national teams or full national teams. So could, let's talk a little bit about how it's different structuring sessions, working in that environment in at the international level versus working in the in the day-to-day Houston Dynamo Academy and first team setup.
2: I think that might be a good one for you to start with. All right. So, I mean, for me, when you're coaching goalkeepers, and again, this goes back to a conversation I've had yesterday, um, I try to coach goalkeepers the same, whether they're you know, 12 years old, 14 years old, eight year old, professional, international. I tried to treat them all with the amount of professionalism that would go to any. Um, of course, you're going to teach them and train them different per their age group, but the actual expectation level is still a high expectation level within their age group. When you go to the international level, uh, obviously the majority of mine is the women's side, it was it was different because you were almost a club team together so often, um, especially with the, flagship well, actually both with Canada and the U.S. Um, you were, you were day to day. It wasn't like a, a men's international window, fifth window where you're coming in for 10 days, you play two games and you're done. I mean, we were together at times for, you know, our we had residency with Canada um, and with the U.S. obviously we're in camps from, you know, 10 days to three weeks. Um, obviously you're dealing with an elite level player and no different with the goalkeepers I had great goalkeepers with Canada, I had great goalkeepers with the US and I would train them as no different to how I'm training the Dynamo keepers now as in yeah, some of my ideas might have changed but the level, of, you know, the level of pace on the ball, the level expected in the session, the expectation overall, um, the video analysis, both training, both game um, all was the same um, there's more stuff available to me probably now in the last six, seven years than there was when I was with Canada. Um, but we still did all the same work regarding video work, component nerve analysis, individual development, um, the physical aspect, etc. Um, and, and that's what I don't think people understand when they're on the outside is how much work actually goes into training. You know, when you work at whether it's pro level or the international level, you know, it's, yeah, it's maybe it's an hour and a half, two hours on the training field, but then there's another couple of hours of cutting video. There's another 30 minutes to an hour of showing video. There's preparing for your opponent, um, setting up your set pieces, setting up your penalties, how you're dealing with those. Um, and then obviously you've got, you know, the, the whole recovery, repeat, recovery, repeat, And then on top of that, with the international game, you've got the international tournaments, Olympics and World Cups, which was for me, and that's very quick. And then there's a lot of dead time. How do you feel that as well? Although it's condensed into a four-week, five-week period, there is dead time within it where you've got to make sure you're prepared and ready for whatever whatever comes next.
0: So, Jason, what was your international experience like?
2: Uh, Yeah, I
1: had two... Really brief experiences. I was with the I was with the under-17 female national team for one camp, and I was with the under-20 female national team for for one camp. So I had two very brief experiences, and it was probably my first exposure to, as Paul touched on there, um, to really having to work around the clock for for the full ten days. I mean, it, again, you touched upon it there, but it's not just what you're doing, not just the planning that goes into the session, and it's everything then that's built around it. Obviously, touch upon the video, the analysing the opponents' set pieces, uh, and then there's constant meetings throughout throughout the course of the day and throughout the course of the throughout the, course of the camp. One thing I will touch touch upon, though, with my with my view, international experiences, is that what I, what I, what I the like feedback I've got from the goalkeepers coming off both camps is that there's a lot of inconsistencies in their messaging and the, the education that they're being provided. Uh, when it comes to, I'm talking just the goalkeepers here, just because of the inconsistencies of the different goalkeeper coaches cycling through the youth international game. Because on the, both the men's and the women's side of the game, there is no full-time youth international goalkeeper coaches. There's constant, there's a constant turnover and cycle of different coaches going in. So I suppose a big question mark I had with US soccer was that this was going to be. The detriment of the development of uh, really a fluid pathway for the youth, youth international goalkeepers. However, that being said, the experience of going into those two camps really stood in good stead coming into the Houston Dynamo. Well, again, one, because you're learning to work around the clock, um, you're, you're learning to work on all the other nuances of the game that go into the separation preparation. Um, so, in that regard, it, it stood me in really good stead. Certainly, sliding into into this world, um, but that that being said, the it's, it's all geared around the long term planning. Um, no different to at the Youth International Game, you're trying to map out your the World Cup and the different events that you may have coming up. We're we're very similar. We look at our Generation Adidas schedule. We look at where the playoffs will be, and we look at where all our MLS fixtures lie within that, and then our planning then is just structured structure that peaking um, at those key them the year so really it just comes down to the planning uh, and the cycles that you're
0: working within well gentlemen I want to say thank you guys for coming on the show today obviously we could sit here and talk for hours about all the goalkeeping experiences you guys have I have um, and what you guys are working on currently that uh, is helping with the development down in Houston, but I don't want to take up all of your time today. I know you guys are busy, guys. Um, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. I, I hope it's going to be something extremely. I know it'll be something extremely beneficial for our listeners to hear how you guys are developing goalkeepers in, in your structure. And uh, you've educated me. You're going to educate our listeners, and I just really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Thank you,
2: thank you for having us. Yeah, Brandon, it's been brilliant.
0: Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, you guys take care. Uh, We'll talk soon, and hopefully we're all back on the field pretty soon.
1: Thanks again. Thank you very
0: much. All right, guys. Take care. I'll speak with you soon. And that's another episode of the Last Line Soccer Podcast in the books. Once again, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate your support. As always, if you have any feedback for us, positive or negative, head over to the Prime Focus Goalkeeping Facebook page to drop us a message. We also want to thank one of our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, for all the work that they do. If you're in need of great custom scarves for teams or supporters groups, head over to roughneckscarves.com to see what they have to offer. As always, take care and stay tuned for the next Last Line Soccer Podcast episode.